Grab a brew, listen up, and get back to you. This is Things I Wish I'd Known podcast. Coming up. We can't even get out of our own way for a moment to say, well, what does the other side think? Maybe how were they raised? Why, why is that so embedded in their, the garden of their mind? The trick is to not push people to that edge until they're ready right, to really accept that freedom. Else it becomes pretty self-punishing and scary. It took me a good 10 years, right, to come back to that inner knowing I already had. So yeah, what I wish I had known was, hey, you love this, never let it go. In a culture of punishment, so many of us have internalized it as well, but not so much rehabilitation. I mean, that what the fuck moment is really the spiritual door. Welcome to the Things I Wish I'd Known podcast. We're on a mission to help those of us who feel way too sad, way too often, remember what it's like to feel alive and 100% yourself again. So whether you're here because you're stressed out, feel like your emotions are constantly hijacking your life, or you've just somehow lost your way, your host, Rachel, has got your back. Let's have all the chats everyone told us not to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> like, rebellion. She's a raver, misbehaver, and suicide survivor turned happiness champion. She's on a mission to bring happiness back. Because let's face it, it never really went out of fashion. This podcast may contain content that is triggering for some listeners. If you're sensitive to certain topics, please check the show notes for full episode descriptions. Hello and welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known with your host, Rachel. I am excited, as always, to have another guest with me today who is... Quite frankly, it's one of the most interesting people I think I'm going to speak to on this podcast this season. Um, Sue Hunt is a writer, she's a teacher, she's a creative, she is a heartfelt Cancerian with an expansive Pisces moon, which is why I think we're going to get on because I am deep in my Piscean energy. (laughs) And she talks all about binaries, which I'm really excited to learn about and how um, she's written a book called The Transitory Nature Book and it's all about having a non-binary worldview which I'm very excited to learn more about. It's all about empowerment, respect around um, this kind of dominator status quo that has been hanging around the world for God knows way too long and um, and she's going to teach us all, all about it. So Sue also identifies as a radical Buddhist. Taos in New Mexico has um, deeply influenced Sue and her understanding of in intersection between body and place and it's also um home for her and her family thank you so much for being here and having this conversation with me yeah thank you for having me rachel i'm very happy to be here happy to have you so tell me a little bit how did you because this is such an interesting topic and when um it was brought to my attention i was like i need to get you on the podcast i need to have this conversation i really want to learn more about it so how did you kind of get into this non-binary worldview Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think it was a slow burn over the last 10 to 15 years. So traditionally, I've studied lots of Buddhist texts and pre-Hinduism, sometimes referred to as Vedanta. And that's really kept my interest for such a long period of time. And then I, I used to own commercial yoga studios and was really involved in the commercial yoga studio space about seven, eight years ago realized I wanted to get out of that commercial space and step more into actually supporting people's healing inside the trenches of their mind, which was coming up all of the time right inside the body practice. And so I started taking a lot of my philosophical background, things that I had studied, and then marrying it to my natal chart work and things that I do one-on-one with clients. And it came up so much in people's suffering of, well, what am I? And I'm this, but I'm not this, or I want to be more of this. I do not want to be more of this. And this is what's causing me suffering, right? Actually, it's sort of the misperception of how we identify was causing so much suffering. Mm -hmm. And then how we perceive the other side of the binary as sometimes I call it grass is greener syndrome or where we want, I want to be more of this. Mm -hmm. So in the United States in the last five years, the polarity conversation has just gotten huge about be more masculine, be more feminine, Right. And I kept seeing even that terminology really hindering people to be their complex, uh, robust self and then really step into that complexity. Mm, I love that. I think it's very interesting topic, isn't it? Because we are so multifaceted and some of the things that you said within that 
around wanting to be more all the time. And one thing that I've learned both in my own journey and also in my journey as a therapist and working with now hundreds of different people over the last few years, you know, I'm not good enough is such a deeply entrenched negative belief for so many people that this whole thing around needing to be more makes complete sense to me because it kind of ties into that story that whatever we are is not enough and whatever we have there's still more <laughs> you know to, to have to get to want right and I don't know loads about Buddhism so correct me if I'm wrong I only know like super super tiny little bits I've got a few friends that um, practice and I meditate a lot so I mean you can't really learn awesome. meditation without touching on <laughs> on old texts and things like that but you know really with Buddhism a lot of it right is letting go of um, wanting as a practice you know you kind of let go of needing to want is that right have I got that right or am I off the mark yeah I mean I think that that that's a great entry point right the idea of you know I am attached to things that change therefore yes. I suffer yeah or better yet I'm attached to my own suffering yes <laughs> so we could take it one step further in that yeah. regard and many of us really identify with that suffering narrative and oh. it's reinforced because of the systems that we live in and really the extractive global economy that we live in. Absolutely. Where it feels very normal to be attached to that identity and we're programmed to be attached to that identity. So it gets a little tricky in the intellect to think, how am I attached to something I suffer? Yes. That makes me suffer so much. And that's a really big conundrum to deal with, right? And then even inside the positive negative binary of well let me have more positive thinking around something that I'm actually not addressing effectively right so that's a it's a tricky it sounds simple on paper but very very messy when you put it into lived action absolutely and I am such an advocate of uh, you know what what I call basically I say fuck pseudo positivity it really <laughs> it really really pisses me off it's like you know what I've learned on my journey and through working with so many different people is that you know we do get attached to the story you know my name is Rachel and I've got depression my name is Rachel mm -hmm. and I've got really bad anxiety my name is Rachel and I had a breakdown my name's Rachel and I had this awful relationship breakup or whatever that you know you know you end up with all these like stories and things that end up attached to how you define who you are and especially now I've noticed that I do this as my job and mm -hmm. I massively believe in being able to program yourself via your thinking and so I I'm trying to be very careful about the language that I use because I don't want to keep saying I've got depression and anxiety. I have yeah. panic attacks because I think, oh, my God, that's just perpetuating the problem. However, I don't want to feel like I'm being untruthful to people that, say, follow me on social media or listen to the podcast by saying I've completely healed myself. I don't have any symptoms anymore because even though the symptoms are super minor, I'm not quite there yet. I'm going to, I know I'll get there, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I'm not quite there yet. And I think it's, this is what's interesting, right? Because that's a binary in itself. Yes. I you're e you're either ill or not rather yep. than being on this journey. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, can you, for people that don't maybe have never considered you know, that the world is binary or non-binary. Can we maybe just go into that a little bit more for the listeners around maybe what some of the assumptions are, some of the kind of, I guess we all sort of commit in a strange way to these rules that we haven't even necessarily consciously agreed to, if that makes sense. And I'd love totally. to hear your kind of thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the book I use some... A pretty tactful language about consent, which is a big conversation, and even consenting to cultural programming and ideas that, you know, really formulate who we think we are in our adult lives. Mm. And 
um, I use sort of cheeky language like subliminal software downloads, right? Things that we start to excavate almost as we step onto the path of self-transformation. Yeah. And binary means opposites. I define things by opposites. And we don't always say it that clearly, but I'm either on the right or the left, mm. right? I'm either male or female. I'm either sick or well. Right. And we have this, even in to touch on what you just said in our healing journeys, this idea that we're moving from disease to wellness, mm. right? When, if we look at the full life cycle, we're actually headed towards transitory nature, death. <laughs> yeah. <right? laughs> Every day, one day closer to death. I right. literally, I don't know if you've seen it. Ages ago, I said to my friends, this is years ago. I don't even know how many years ago, maybe 15 years ago. I had this idea. I said to my friend, I want to make a clock and I want to have it on my wall with a countdown to when I think I'm going to die, which I've had this weird thing that I've always assumed I'm going to die when I'm 82. So I imagine on my 81st, mm, 82nd birthday. Scorpio eight, placements are. <laughs> but you know, when you're like, on my 82nd's birthday, I'm probably going to be like, oh God. <laughs> Um, but I, and she was like, oh my God, that's so depressing. Why would you want that? And I was like, it just motivates me. It's like, oh God, I've got so much I want to do with my life. I need to get going. And then recently I saw an advert that came up on my Instagram feed of literally a chart that you cross off the days and it shows you how many days you've already had of your life and how many you've got left roughly based on, wow. I don't know, whatever data. And I was like, damn it, someone, I should have made that into a business. <laughs> <laughs> I guess yeah. it is that thing right, of transitory nature that we are just constantly moving towards. Yeah, and that's one of the big tenets of Buddhism is, you know, how do I respect my limited time? How do I not mm. squander my limited time? And that can also be approached in a very self-punishing way, considering how we're programmed. Mm. And so I understand how many of us can approach that in a very depressive way almost. And then there's this little breaking moment when you're actually living a contemplative life and you're meditating and you're accepting the complexity of you that you're like, wow, this is actually a truth that sets me free. Mm. But here's a little bit of the trick is to not push people to that edge until they're ready, right, to really accept that freedom. Else it becomes pretty self-punishing and scary, a little bit scary. Mm. Yeah. Why do you think it's so scary for so many people? Yeah, I mean, that's like the age-old question huh? many texts have asked that particular question. And we have dual identities. We have lots of different personality aspects. And I often refer to that as the ego structure because there's so much scaffolding under the idea of what motivates us to do something or be someone in the world. Mm. And so it's it's this sort of big web of a structure that structure is always calling out back into the universe to recognize itself, right? That's mm. how it knows it's alive. So it goes, hey, hey, I think, t reaffirm, reaffirm, reaffirm. I right? think and therefore that, I am. Yeah, and that's a tricky thing. That That's sort of the initiation of the new age movement, right? That Descartes saying, mm. right? Inside Buddhism, this idea is, I don't think, therefore I am. It's that I am, and then all these things stem from me. That doesn't mean I am those things. They yeah. just stem from me. Yeah. I think that's so powerful as well when you can realize. Um, I actually did a, um, I've got a membership called Clear Club. And last night we did a workshop called, I call it the Anxiety Antidote. And part mm. of that workshop is explaining to people around acceptance of anxiety. And I remember ages ago when I was still really unwell, um, with quite severe depression and anxiety and my friend said to me which now I can see this comment from such a different perspective I'm like wow that was probably one of the most healing things she could have said but at the time <laughs> I was like fuck off mate and uh, <laughs> she said you need to make friends with your depression it's part of you now mm -hmm. you need to stop fighting it you're fighting it as if it's not part of you and I remember thinking like, you know, fuck off, this is like the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Like it's literally <laughs> yeah. trying to kill, it's literally trying to kill me, you know, and so I'm going to fight it. I'll fight it literally potentially to the death, 
because it might at some point win, you know. And I'm, But now that I look back on that, I'm like, wow, what a wise piece of advice. And that's what I try and teach now is this acceptance of like, you know what? And one of the things that I love about one of the tools I use, EFT, is because we always say, even though whatever the thing is, right, even though I'm scared of death, even though I've got anxiety, even though I might be you know, experiencing depression, even though I've got panic attacks, even though, I don't know, all this horrible stuff happened to me back way back when. I love myself anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think actually when you can come to that place of acceptance and also accepting that just because you're right there right now today doesn't mean you're going to be right there right now forever. And I think this is where the difficulty comes in, right, with binaries and with stories and how attached we get to them. If you have this story that, you know, and potentially for people who've experienced, um, you know, big traumas and, um, you know, real heavy grief, these kind of things, I feel almost quite sticky energy wise, if that makes sense. And it's quite hard sometimes to be like, okay, well, I experienced grief or I experienced death or experienced this illness or this ailment rather than I am this illness this ailment this grief this death this thing Mm -hmm. and when you can create that I don't know if it's a gap or I feel like it's some sort of space that uh, do, do you know what I mean yeah it's suddenly like this really refreshing amazing space where you can be like oh I can experience all these things, all these emotions, all these thoughts, all these experiences. Some are super pleasant and then you want to grip onto those ones. <laughs> mm-hmm. Some are really unpleasant, you want to push them all away. But actually, when you ex- when you can accept all of them in this kind of, um, I don't know, I want to say soup. <laughs> it's like an energy soup, you know, yeah. then it, it's not so scary anymore. Because I am not any one of those things. I'm kind of all of them, but none of them at the same time. Mm. I don't know if that went on a tangent then. I don't know if that made any sense to anyone. <laughs> no, and no, I think one thing that you did really beautifully there and was say it feels sticky. Mm. Right. So that's often where we absorb binaries and we don't really understand that we're absorbing them, that this is a good state of being or this is a bad state of being, Mm. you know, and that often happens in the diagnosis space as well, you know, sick, well, I'm one or the other, Mm. but being able to actually have the experience like depression feels sticky, you know, anxiety feels like hot, fast moving energy. Whoa. When I'm on a run, it also feels like hot, fast moving energy. Right. When I need to draw a boundary and stand up to someone, whoa, that can feel like hot, fast moving energy mm. Right to be to categorize it in a way that has more flexibility for you. Right. Makes more fluidity in your self-identity for sure. And how would you say if somebody's kind of listening to this and thinking, wow, this sounds super because I I was so amazed when I saw like your book and all the stuff on your website. I was like, wow, I really need to learn more about this, you know. Where can people start? Because it must be, I imagine, like when I first started looking at my thoughts, I never really realised that I had thoughts. I thought I was my thoughts. And so when I started to observe my thoughts from a different viewpoint, you know, from the observer space, when you start to meditate, it was like, oh, man. There's, there's a lot of dark thoughts up here. <laughs> wow. It's quick, yeah. yeah. You're like, wow, girl, you real fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it gets intense quick. Thank you for saying that out loud. Definitely. But then, so I imagine, and then similarly with my journey with alcohol, I decided to stop drinking after being a pretty hefty party animal for many fun years and um, suddenly when I stopped drinking I saw this very what I would say very binary sober Mm. or you party you know and there's not much in between and suddenly when I stopped I saw the viewpoint from a completely different space and I guess the question I'm trying to get to is for people that are in these you know like you're saying this kind of subconscious conditioning which I 100% believe in as well and think that we should all do some work on to question because you'll be surprised what's in there <laughs> when you go in there you'll be surprised what's in that cupboard um how do you start to unpick and see 
because I guess you know through meditation you can start to observe the thoughts through change of behavior like giving up alcohol or something you can observe things from a different perspective but when you're sort of in it as we are with binaries so let's say at the moment you know most people in the west live in a patriarchal society for example Mm -hmm. how do we start to see that binary and process in a way that isn't gonna I don't know create I imagine there's some level of like creating frustration or anger or you know a little bit I feel like I'm swearing a lot today on this podcast sorry guys but a bit of what the fuck you know when you start to see things from because I've definitely had that in in my journey you know where you start going what how did I not see this before (laughs) this is all a lie right yeah I mean that what the fuck moment is really the spiritual door For more information on how you can bring your happiness back, why not join Rachel's monthly membership or contact her via her website, www.welfordwellbeing.com. Right, I mean, it is. And we sometimes have this commercialized, like eroticized idea of what living a contemplative or spiritual life looks like. And then when we have one of those moments, it's really jolting almost because we think it's like off the path or something that is so radically challenging to our self-identity. In terms of where to start, uh, this was really fun for me in writing the book because I wanted to basically tiptoe into the space because I wanted someone to build resilience in their own body-mind so that they could stomach the what the fuck moments. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're and, not trying to actually, kick the door in. You're trying to like right. creep it open a little bit like, hey, come in. <laughs> exactly. And that also builds self-trust along the way. Mm. And that is right when you're the when you're looking around and you're thinking, I'm the only one that has this perspective. It's a tough place to be. And you yeah. really have to hold a lot of almost sturdiness in the feet to, yeah. to stay there. So I really started with the what I'm titling the private public binary, which I know we all have so much mm. uh, dis-ease in our bodies around who we are in the public eye, even if it's not a huge platform or anything, just maybe yeah. with your family members, right? And then who you are in the closed doors of your private life, right? especially in the corners of your mind. And many of us know ourselves to be very different in those two spaces. So just being able to observe the difference between how we behave in public and I have a lot of embodiment cues there of like, Mm. is your right hip out? Is your chest open? Right. Do you understand even how you're holding the neurocircuitry of your posture to be a different person in the public space than when you're at home and you're, you know, wearing the hoodie and no one cares, bugger hanging out, whatever it may be. (laughs) A totally different set of rules for yourself almost. So just being able to observe that binary behavior of, private versus public, I think is an amazing place to start. And I have a very simple practice there to address that. Um, So, okay, so they've got this practice in the book, they can start to look at, you know, their private binary and their public binary. And then is it a process of integration or something like that, where you start to go, ah, okay, maybe it's not so scary just to be who I am? Or is that part of Yeah, I mean, I think integration is a big part of it. And then I give the reader lots of cues to look at codependency inside the public space and Mm. inside the private space, right? So ways that we seek validation out in the world. And then we have this really codependent understanding of our own worth based on public feedback, right? Mm. And obviously people pleasing could fall underneath that because we're, we're sort of getting this egoic hit every time we're out in public and, and we're behaving a particular way. And I don't mean to underestimate how difficult it is to behave a different way and then accept the consequence of behaving a different way. Right. So it's very, um, you're almost walking a tightrope. So you really Mm -hmm. have to understand, Oh, wow that was a little bit weird what I just did. I just have to adjust it just a bit. So I feel a little more comfortable in my own skin and interfacing with society in a nonviolent way. Mm. Right. And then also doing the same thing in the private life. I think codependency is talked a lot about in our intimate relationships, our family relationships. And, you know, I'm a millennial, you know, there's no secret there. And just seeing the rise of social media and our virtual avatars 
we've now had a projected our codependency so much in the public space as well with all of these sort of serotonin hits of receiving validation in ways that 35 years ago we our body mind relationship didn't really have access to receiving that kind of I absolutely dread to think what would have happened to my life if social media was a thing when I was a kid yeah I just don't know how I don't know how I would have coped. I genuinely don't. Like sometimes when I look back, I think, oh my God, you know, I got quite bullied at, at my first primary school. And I think being able to, you know, turn that off to go home and have a essentially non-accessible space, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't realise at the time, it's only sort of like looking back now, you know, and you think, wow, actually kids now don't really have that. Because that thing is in your pocket and it gives people access to you all the time. And often I just needed to recharge because I'm I'm very extroverted. I mean, anyone that knows me, I've got a lot of energy. I'm very sort of like, ah! Um, mm-hmm. But then I will just hide. You know, I sort of like, my mum said I used to be like a little puppy. She's like, you know, like our puppies or whatever are like, ah! And then they're like, oh. <laughs> it's like going to sleep. It's like burnt out of energy, go sleep for a bit. And then they wake up again and go, I can't back, you know. Yeah. And I still have that. I still need to sometimes just be by myself and I don't know, whatever, you know. And I think for me, meditation has been like a real gift for that because it is that real thing where you can just, wherever you are, it doesn't matter, even matter if you're with people, you can still just be totally. by yourself in that strange in a way um kind of forgotten where I was going with this now but (laughs) But you also just did something beautiful there too was really look at your innate nature right ways that you behaved when you were younger that felt sustainable it was a choice that you didn't make with the same sort of adult reasoning or adult programming right and I break apart adult child a little bit that binary too in the last chapter but not in the beginning right to really understand what were some of my innate coping mechanisms Mm. that I did in my private life in my younger years? You know, just recognizing that can show you the difference between how you behave in public and private. Oh, that's so interesting, isn't it? Because you don't really think of that as a binary, or I had never considered that as a binary, like the child part and the adult part. And obviously Mm -hmm. anyone that's done any therapy... Especially anyone who's done as much therapy as I have will know very intimately their inner child and how cute she is and how, mm. like, you know, she's got, she didn't get things in the same way that you do as an adult, you know. And I think sometimes when we can, yeah, I've never really thought of that as a binary, but I guess it is. And within that arbitrary line that we draw between child and adult right sometimes we dismiss some of the wisdom that we innately held Mm. and I think based on age you know and that's a a tricky thing to do right haven't we met really wise young people and we've met really wise old people and how much we can learn from kids I mean, yeah. what are some? What are some of your? I'd love to know what are some of your binaries. Like, what are some of your held binaries, or are you totally in this non-binary <laughs> life now? Are you like, I'm not about that binary life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the the best way to check that is that not all my beliefs are reality. Not all my opinions are other mm-hmm. people's reality. That doesn't make them less of my own reality, but that gives me more space to have access to how other people view the world and we can hold those two truths simultaneously. Um, I think that over time, you know, and you can have a, this sort of self-honesty questioning mechanism where you don't diminish yourself in the process of really getting down to the truth. And I want to use lowercase T there, right? Because I do think that there are many of them. Mm. And then you can also have a belief too, right? And it's very, can be very contextual and that's my belief if that makes sense, Mm. right? So it's not really my belief to shove down anyone's throat, right? Which would then perpetuate an outward binary of Mm. this is the moral way, this is the ethical way. When we start weaponizing good, bad against each other, right? And that can have long-term issues. So powerful, actually, when you think of things like that. Because one of the things I was thinking about before we 
had met and decided to have this conversation and I'd just been reading everything on your website was this interesting thing around um, the binaries of good and bad and right and wrong and how one of the things that has been very powerful for me and lots of people that I've taught around emotions and how, you know, certain emotions, people are basically taught, you know, when you're happy, when you're peaceful, when you're loving, when you're kind, then you're good. And when you're angry and frustrated and envious and bitter and, you know, in rage or whatever the other emotions might be, you're bad, in, in inverted commas, for the people that are on the audio. Um, and... When I first learned about emotions and how literally they're just the language of the body and they're just chemical reactions and they don't actually mean anything until you attribute a meaning to it and so therefore they're not good or bad, they're just telling you these are things you find pleasant and enjoyable and these are things that maybe feel unpleasant or not enjoyable and then you can use that as a kind of compass to direct yourself, hopefully, you know, in a way that means you're going to have a more balanced and happy existence right? right but it doesn't mean you're bad for feeling shame or you're bad for feeling angry or you're bad for feeling a particular way and then it got me thinking about like criminals and people that have done you know what many people would maybe think are absolutely unforgivable things and it made me think about some of the things that have happened to me in my life and the kinds of people that you know maybe I've come into contact with some of which I hold dear in my heart who I think are really lovely people who may have done some things that other people would say is illegal activity and you know they should be locked up for that or they're like disgusting human beings you know people that I hold dear in my heart who are queer or gay and for some people that is just you know absolutely like the worst thing in the world whereas I'm like but it's just love, man. <laughs> it's it's right. just love. I don't understand. And so it's just re really interesting when you think like, you know, even people that are like murderers or whatever, that most people might agree that's a bad thing to do. If you met that person, and I'm not saying everyone and before people will jump in my comments and be like, what the hell are you on about? I bet there's, you know, even people that have done really horrendous things there's people that genuinely think they're a really awesome person who just did a bad thing one time, mm -hmm. you know, or whatever. Oh, and sometimes when you can look at certain people's behaviours and then you look at what their life experience was up until that behaviour, you're like, well. <laughs> so it's very interesting, this binary thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's also a product of the system that we live in you know is that we mm. really live in a culture of punishment that's why so many of us have internalized it as well but not so much rehabilitation mm. that's a, a tough long expensive road considering how everything is structured at the moment of how we actually re rehabilitate someone's understanding of themselves and mm. not just to release them back into society air quotes again you know but to really say hey let's get more clarity within you and then let's have you radiate more clarity when you get back out into the world right we don't have a lot of systems that do that for people on a regular basis mm. right now that aren't they're very unaccessible to the masses yeah oh i don't even know where to go with the question and i'm just like i'm literally in a state of fascination my brain's like oh my god it's gone off on all these different things now like seeing the world in that really like binary view it's just actually when you really stop and think about it it's so fascinating and it feeds into massively as well something I was having a, a private conversation with somebody recently about the internet and algorithms and how do you know like if you're if you were born like and the internet was still it was a thing already right when you were born how do you know that you like the things that you like or that you've just been sort of like subconsciously, accidentally like programmed by people just showing you liking certain things. Because what I don't know, I need to give some context to this. When I was young, I went through all these different phases, right? I was like 
really into like skateboarding and BMX and stuff and I'd listen to like loads of punk and drink whiskey mm. straight out the bottle and whatever and smoke loads of fags and then I was like really into rave and really into this and really and I don't know whether if algorithms existed I would have had the opportunity to explore all those different countercultures within myself and the thing because I still find all those things brilliant and interesting and exciting and great you know mm-hmm. um but I was able to kind of explore that because certain things came into my um consciousness somehow but if I was just really into punk would the algorithm just keep feeding me more punk different types of punk punk from all over the world whatever punk 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 until I'm just like really really into punk but I might never have found dance music or all these other things that I've found have really enriched my life because of these and I think it is creating these real binaries between right and wrong black and white you know in terms of like how people think well you you know and you can see it politically you know, left and right, especially in Britain at the moment, you know, I don't know, and obviously what we see of America as well looks quite <laughs> politically yeah. quite all over really. the place as well. And I don't wonder if this is just because we're all being continually fed. We've chosen that binary. Okay, I'm quite liberal, for example, um, and therefore I'm fed loads more liberal stuff. Mm-hmm. which makes me lean probably subconsciously even more. And I, I just don't know, I find it so fascinating how this is then set up. And mm-hmm. if everybody in the world could start to open to a slightly more non-binary, and what you were saying, which really resonated with me, was around this openness of this is my belief and that doesn't mean everybody else has to hold and even understand or, you know, have the same belief, I can learn from them in a different way without me having to be correct necessarily. I can hold my belief, or this is what I understood from what you said anyway, you know, I can hold my belief and they can hold their belief and we can connect and learn and, you know, it doesn't have to be this like butting of heads it can be this beautiful knowledge you know share as it were and that's what I think it comes across for me with this kind of non-binary space is this merging of information and this um ability to see other people as multifaceted rather than it being you know this one square like you are this thing if that kind of makes sense don't forget to meet us over on youtube for the uncut video version and additional content of all episodes you can find the link in the description yeah i know that that makes total sense and that requires a level of inquisitiveness less reactivity right because if we hold a belief so true then we would have to pause about face and go research the opposite side of the argument right and a lot of us are spread so thin we're just to the you know frazzled almost and that takes a lot of time right so sometimes people will ask me things just this morning in the kitchen with my husband and it's like oh wow I'm not sure what I think yet. That's going to take me at least five to ten news stories to to read them all and then figure out what I feel is going on, right? Mm. Not just from my echo chamber. Yeah, from one space. I was saying this as well, um, similarly, chat in my kitchen about some stuff that's going on and I was like, I don't know what to believe anymore because I don't know what news sources to trust because even the news sources that I find... Um, palatable for my belief system right Mm -hmm. they also have an agenda right and it was interesting the conversation that we had because they were like they don't have an agenda the other side has an agenda and I'm like everyone has an agenda because even even the people that I agree with right that you know Mm these kind of more liberal belief systems and things like that there's still an agenda there that everyone should love each other and let's all just like you know be compassionate hippies man <laughs> like yeah. you know mm-hmm. and that's still an agenda whether we whether we 100%. believe that to be more or not and so yeah I mean this is absolutely fascinating you've really got yeah. my mind 
<laughs> I mean, that that's really intriguing in the public space. And that's so interesting to understand is, yes, like we're all motivated in certain ways and we all have agendas in certain ways. And that doesn't make the agenda bad. That's no. also what gets tricky, right? You get into the question of like, oh, well, they're for profit and that's just ruining society, all these things. But it's really the whole scaffolding underneath the agenda mm. that keeps us really bound in the binary that we can't even get out of our own way for a moment to say, well, what does the other side think? Maybe how were they raised? Why why is that so embedded in their the garden of their mind? I have a few things that are really embedded in the garden of my mind. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. So I, I would love to know, what one piece of advice would you share with like a young you? So like now that you've kind of explored this much more non-binary space and I guess, you know, gone into radical Buddhism and everything else. But the you that I, I imagine was much more binary and, you know, didn't meditate maybe and all that kind of stuff. I don't know, unless you've maybe came out of the womb, like... <laughs> <laughs> um, then, um, you know, what kind of, what advice would you give to that younger part of self? I mean, honestly, it would be something along the lines of turn the volume knob down on the outside world as much as you can and you know listen to your inner nature as much as you can mm. oh, I just want to sit with that for a minute that's really good advice <laughs> such good advice because the times when I start to feel lost again sometimes is always when I feel that I've lost that connection you know, when you when your meditation practice sometimes goes a bit haywire and you're sitting, but you're not really. It's mm -hmm. your brain's doing its thing or whatever. And uh, it is, isn't it? The more that you can just come back to that central, it just guides you to exactly where you need to go, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And it's so, it's smart and it's open and it's objective. It really is. You know, it's not always going to say, hey, yeah, you're crushing, you're doing it right. You know, it, it'll tap you on the shoulder and go, wait, why did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> babe, <coughs> babe <coughs> you've got the wrong <laughs> got the wrong postcode in your sat nav. <laughs> yeah, it'll, it's just like loving support almost. Yeah. If you Look, can get to that seat. It's funny, I've got a very good friend of mine and um, I've probably mentioned her a few times on here we do this voice note practice together like a gratitude voice note practice together and um she's so funny and she always talks about this as well of like just needing to like let go of everything because the, you always get a nudge when it's needed and like we're always trying to be like so busy and you know and especially we're both business owners and so you know there is like an element of like okay well if I just just sit and meditate all day every day uh, maybe the money will come or maybe I'll get <laughs> evicted doubt it Gotta get out there and do something it's like yeah. yeah might get evicted after a month or two like you know um so there is like an element of like okay I need to keep this going you know and, and make sure I'm sustained but also there is an element of like when I do let go of like timelines and you know plans and all that stuff stuff still happens like I still get the right nudge in the right direction like oh you know you should really do another season of your podcast babe it's been a while <laughs> like, okay I'm doing it spirit sorry <laughs> right. so, it's good yeah um so what do you wish you'd known like I mean, I imagine you've been, in fact, actually, before I ask you that question, how long have you been studying this? Because you just seem so knowledgeable and so. So I picked up my first Buddhism book about when I was 11, sort of just wow. by chance. Yeah. So. Good couple of decades. I mean, <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. About two decades and then teaching in public for about 15 years. So it took me a little while to sort of not even really mobilized, but I, I really had no interest in going into it long term. It was something that for me integrated my entire life. Mm. And so then I just slowly started making decisions that, you know, supported that passion over about a five to six year period and then started getting teaching requests and things like that. And was like, oh, OK, well, I'll give it a shot. You know, that type of a, a slow burn almost. 
And um, honestly, I, when I was younger, speaking of binaries, I was really all or nothing kind of a human. And so if I wasn't fully engaged, I just wasn't going to do it. Mm. So then, you know, Buddhism and Hinduism really captured my attention. And that's what I went on to study in school and, you know, continued to dig deep into because it kept me engaged and super passionate. Mm. Okay. So before you were 11, (laughs) (laughs) what do you wish you'd known? (laughs) Oh, probably... I wish someone had, had, you know, I love like the Waldorf school model, you know, things that when I was really young to get that kind of an impression. That kind I don't of know what imprint. that, what's the Waldorf school? Sorry, I don't know much. I don't know yeah, anything no, about that. Totally. It, it groups kids in ways with their own progression. It isn't about age. It isn't about grade. It isn't about, you know, where you should be given these biomarkers in your life. It's more about what you're interested in and, and way more engaged in nature. Oh, Wow. Yeah. So it took me a little while to come back because I grew up deep in the woods Mm. and then I had time in cities and I went to school in cities and it just wasn't working for me. But I didn't really have that sensitivity just yet to realize that the concrete jungle wasn't for me. Mm. And so it took me a good 10 years, right, to come back to that inner knowing I already had. So yeah, what I wish I had known was, hey, you love this. Never let it go. Yeah. I think that's just good for anyone really I feel like that about London though sometimes it's really strange like I've been here so long now and I've thought about leaving loads because I love the ocean and every time I'm in the sea I'm like living my best mermaid life (laughs) (laughs) you know I'm just like and there's obviously no sea here which I find difficult but every time I go to leave I'm just like I can't do it, man. I love it here. It's so, you know, and a lot of people that do energy work and things. And I guess similarly, looking at, you could look at this as a binary as well, in the sense of for a long time, being a meditation teacher and a gong player, and I felt like I'm not the kind of person, you know, that does that stuff. Like I'm too loud and I swear and you know, you can't teach meditation and swear and you can't like do energy work and like, and it's, you know, I take that stuff very sincerely. Like when I'm delivering anything to do with, you know, I would never like play gong and swear at the same time because I don't want to put that energy towards other people or something, you know? Um, But also it's like, and whether this is programming, but you know, that's just how I speak. That's how everyone speaks where I come from. You know, it's like a fishing town. It's like ho, ho, ho and a bottle of rum and we all get pissed and swear a lot, you know? And I don't think that's gonna go. And the more that I was able to then embrace that, because I tried to be super, you know, I'm a meditation teacher now, guys. Yeah. And I'm so calm. And um and I did try that hat on for a while and it was nice, you know. It was quite nice to be like peaceful and calm and but I couldn't I couldn't That's keep it. Because it's just not who I am at a core <laughs> level. And I oh. think yeah, and the thought of like moving to the woods or something, there's part of me that's like, oh yeah. I would live my best witch life out there. Do you know what I mean? Like making all my little potions and being all in nature and like laying naked in the moss and all that stuff. And then there's part of me that's like, but you can't get sushi at 2am in the woods. (laughs) 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 Yeah. And that, I think that's the amazing thing is that it isn't for everyone, you know, Mm. is that it, it, your nature thrives, right? You love that kind of an energy, that kind of electricity, that kind of a community support. Right. That's also something to consider that cities offer, you know, there's not one or the other. For me, I'm extremely introverted. And so it was very challenging for me to be in the city all the time. Yeah. Um, But that doesn't mean that that's not how everyone is. Like if you're a fire sign or you're more extroverted, Mm. I totally understand you need those needs filled. Yeah. And I think also just trust in yourself, because even though I'm in the city, give or take like pretty much every day. 
there's a little walk near my house. Anyone who follows me on Instagram will have definitely seen this walk because I put it on Instagram a lot because I love it. And it's like this um, mystical, magical little place that you imagine like fairies live. And there's mm-hmm. this cute artist. I don't know who they are, but they make these little pixie doors on trees and like hide little like um, <laughs> mushrooms and stuff for like kids or whatever. But I'm like, I don't know if it's for the kids. I'm loving it. <laughs> and um, and you go through and there's like this beautiful little like um water features and this little bridge and and so I go there like pretty much every day and I meditate there a lot and there's this beautiful willow tree and I sit you know on the it's got this big like arch branch and I sit in its branches and I ask the tree like you know for wisdom and like live my best hippie life and then I like go back to my (laughs) back into the city and there's another park that I'm often uh, walking around with bare feet in that people look at me in a very judgmental kind of like what is this woman doing holding her shoes walking around on the grass I'm like I'm grounding man I don't care what you think you know so and I think because it's near the canal we're near the canals where I am so I you know I'm very much still need that connection to nature even though I love the energy of the city and the con- I do love the concrete and the way the sun, you know, goes across the building sometimes and all the glass and all the I find that really cool but if it was just that and I didn't have access to all this green space mm-hmm. that I have near my house, I'd yeah, I don't know if I'd be so so happy here, you know. Yeah, seems like you figured it out. Coming to your but again it's trusting yourself, isn't it? And seeing like where am I I think that's the the core of it. So I guess anything else that you... I've absolutely loved chatting to you. I feel like it's just been the most fascinating conversation. But is there anything else that you want to, like, share? Anything you wish I'd asked you that I haven't asked or that you'd like to just share a nugget of wisdom? Hmm. I mean, I would just be honoured if any listener worked through the book. You know, it took me three years to birth and it's out in the world now and I'm ecstatic that it has its own form and hang in there with it it can get super intense at times but then there's also these really soft moments that bring you back to your own inner ground and you know building that relationship long term Mm -hmm. and there's nine sadhanas in there that I hope a reader would use for life you know so I always come back to them and it doesn't have to be consecutive I know it can be difficult to put parameters on ourselves. it's an accumulative process you can never forget that it's accumulative and yeah. you just let it build from there for people that don't know what a sadhana is can you explain just briefly sure yeah it's a, a prolonged period of practice right for someone who's seeking their own self-understanding cool so just so people know what it is so I highly recommend everyone, please go and check out um, Sue Hunt. Please do get her book, um, Transitory Nature, and give it a whirl and see. I mean, I'm definitely, I'm going to dive straight into it. I'm very excited about this. Yeah, I'll ship on. I, I can ship overseas. I'm very excited about, um, yeah, diving into this and just uh, adding it into my practices and things that I do and how how I see the world. I feel like it's given me an absolutely new view. So thank you so much for coming and bringing your energy and your incredible brain and all your knowledge. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for opening the space to me and sitting with me for this time. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, I forgot to ask, where do people find you? What's your website? Do they follow you on Instagram? What's the best? I know that you've got a good Instagram. Yeah, um, my handle is suehunt underscore and then my website suehunt.com. So go check her out. Thank you so much for being here. It's been yeah, absolute joy. And to everyone else, I will speak to you again very soon. Thanks for listening. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed listening as much as Rachel enjoys making this podcast. Why not share it with a friend in need of some heartwarming inspiration? And if you really love it, drop us a review on Apple Podcasts as it really helps us reach and inspire more people. Thanks for listening. You have totally got this.